Maybe. Um, would you pray with me before we get started this morning? Father, thank you for uh, this opportunity to preach your word. Uh, we live in a world that uh, seems like six days a week we just get bombarded with the daily grind and the requirements of society. And this day we can uh, put all that aside and we can focus on your teaching and that hopefully we can hear it, we can digest it, and we can apply it to our lives as we go back out into the world and are your light and salt. Lord, I pray this morning for everyone that's here that made an effort to get in their vehicles or walk down the road and step into this building and listen to your word. I pray for every one of them that their, their hearts are completely opened and their ears are attentive to the truth that uh, Jesus speaks. Father, be with me this morning as I do my best to uh, explain and share my thoughts on this wonderful passage we're about to study. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're at a spot in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, that some would call the apex or the summit, the single most important teaching in all of Christian ethics. I must have read, I don't know how many different opinions and commentaries on this one passage, and that was something that was constantly probably the... the the synopsis of every opinion or commentary is that this is the apex, the summit, and the single most important teaching in all of Christian ethics. And it's a teaching from Jesus that's been quoted by both secular and non-secular groups. Um, at Palisade High School, which is a secular public high school, if you go into the, the principal's area, the administration area, and you look to your left, there's a big sign on the wall, a big picture and it has this Bible verse quoted. And of all of the things that the ACLU attacks, this is not one of them, the American Civil Liberties Union. They don't attack this idea uh, on, the, on the, the wall. You know, there's no Ten Commandments uh, when you walk into the school or on the courthouse, but they do have this particular teaching. Um, and upon first glance, this teaching we're going to look at looks very simple, very basic. But as you really dig into it, uh, it, it's become a, a teaching that's convicting and challenging, and it's been somewhat difficult to follow for me just over the last week as I studied it more in depth, and I read it, and I thought about it, and it seemed like situations throughout the week forced me to think back on this verse and act differently than I was starting to act. And I'll give you some examples as we get through it. We're talking about Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, and on top of your in your Bible at the top, it might say the golden rule. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 12 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And we've simplified it in much of our vernacular where it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, it's a rule that we've all been taught as kids. Uh, it's a rule that we likely teach our kids. When something happens, we say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I want to look at that this morning. I want to think about it. Ima imagine this morning you woke up and you got out of bed 
And I'm, you're going to learn a lot about my wife and I this morning. Because I, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for my wife and I. Let's just say, imagine I got up this morning. And instead of just jumping out of bed uh, and going downstairs to get myself a cup of coffee, I got out of bed, and she's already been up for a little bit, working around the house and doing her thing and getting food ready or whatever. I made the bed. And then uh, I looked down on the floor where I had tossed my shorts and my shirt the night before, and I picked them up, and I went and put them in the laundry, or I folded them, and I put them back where they belonged because they weren't dirty. And then I went downstairs, and I said, Honey, would you like some chai tea? And I made her some chai tea. And then I made her some breakfast. And then I left, and I hugged her, and I gave her a kiss on the cheek, and I said, I hope you have an awesome day. And then I got in my truck, and I got to my driveway, and I look right, and there's a car coming. And I hate being in second place driving, no matter where I am. And so instead of me whoop, getting in front of them, hitting 65 down K Road, I let them pass, because maybe they're just like me, and they don't want somebody in front of them. So then I turn right on 24 Road, and I get down, and I cross the highway, I cross the bridge, and I turn left, I get on 6 and 50, and I'm, jo I'm jostling for a position usually, but this time I just kind of stayed back, and I let everybody just pass me, and I did two miles an hour in the speed limit. Then I got to the office, and I was very kind, and I spoke to how I would want to be spoken to, to my office staff or secretary and my employees and my friends and my peers and my subcontractors, and I was just very calm and collected, and... Then I had to go drop something off the post office, and I was very kind and polite as I waited there forever because they take so long to process a stamp. But I just kind of was relaxed. And then when I left the post office, somebody cut me off, and I went, eh, probably in a hurry. Maybe they need to get, they're late for a very important meeting. This, I mean, you can go through the entire day and think about how in the moment your life would change, moment to moment to moment, if you lived this passage, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Because I love it when my wife makes me coffee in the morning. It's one of my favorite things when I come downstairs and I can smell the bulletproof coffee in my cup with the coconut oil and the butter blended in and it's there and it's got a little froth on top and I'm like, wow, this is like a $6 cup of coffee my wife made for me. Imagine if I did that for her. It would, it would completely change. If this was how the world acted, it would change the way the world looked at each other. If everything we did was more about giving rather than taking, if it was more about serving rather than being served, it would change the dynamic the, the view, the picture of the entire world. Everything we do. Somebody drops something, let me get that for you. Here. Because when I drop something, it's nice when somebody says, here, I, you drop this. I want you to, I want to pick something. Think about it. Everything that happens in life that makes you feel good, that's moral and good and pleasing, if you did that to somebody else or for somebody else, how that would change your perspective on life. I'm thinking this idea that in this world... There are givers and there are takers. We've talked about this, Steve. I've talked about it with some business mentors I have. They said there are givers and there are takers. There are people that are always going to be there to serve others and help others. And then there are going to be people that are just leeches and they're constantly taking. 
And from what I understand of this scripture, Jesus is telling us to be givers. He's teaching us to be servants of people. Last night, I was talking about the driving thing. Uh, last night, Brenda and I went out to, I think God, I, I'm pretty certain God gives us opportunity to get better at what we want to get better at. So last night, we went out to dinner, and as we were leaving downtown, we're driving uh, right in front of Chick-fil-A and, and you know, that stretch of highway, and we're talking about this passage in, Ma- in, in Matthew 7, 12, do unto others. And she thinks I drive a little aggressively. Uh, I would disagree. I think I'm an offensive driver because most people don't know how to drive, and I need to drive for more than one person. So I've learned through this study that I need to just calm down a little bit. So we're talking about this passage, and I like to be in pole position, right? I want to be... I want to be pole position. I want to be front right. I don't want anybody in front of me on the starting line. So when that hits green, I don't have to wait for them to finish their text. I can just go. When you're driving, and I'm sure you can all, if you drive, you can all relate to this. When you're driving and somebody pulls in front of you just a little bit on the left, and you've got an open pole position in the lane you're in, and they get over in front of you, when there's nobody in front of them, it's irritating. It forced, like, why did they have to get in front of me? Now I'm out of pole position, and I've got to go around them, or that's how I think when I drive. And so last night, we're driving back from dinner. We're talking about this very verse, and someone out of nowhere gets in front of me, and I was like, ugh. And Brenda goes, see? God is, you don't like it when, you, when people do that to you, so don't do that to other people, because I have the habit of going, if I speed up a little bit, I get in front of this person, I'm going to be in pole position. So now it's forcing me to drive differently by thinking about this verse. And God's given me the opportunity to see how irritating it is for me, so certainly it irritates other people. So that's the first light. The very next light, it happens again. Another person drives next to me, gets in front of me, and 100 yards before the light, boop, puts in front of me, and I'm out of pole position. And Bernard's like, see? God, God is teaching you. Don't do that to other people. I know that's a silly story, but it, was, it forced me to look at what God says about this passage and how I treat other people. So, this passage in Matthew 7, I want to think about this. This passage in Matthew 7 is what's called a positive command in the New Testament. Okay, A positive command to what it means to live a Christian life, to be a disciple of Jesus. We're going to talk more about the Sermon on the Mount as a whole in a little bit. But it's changing the world by actively working on it. It's a positive command. And I'm going to do the antithesis of that so we can understand the difference between a positive command and a negative command. So Jesus gives a positive command that whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Take the offensive. Do the positive command here. A negative command example is found in Exodus 22, Old Testament. In Exodus 22... It says, and God commanded his people, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. That's a negative command. It's a command, but instead of taking the offensive, it's just saying don't take advantage of someone. Do not do this. Do not oppress a stranger. Do not oppress an alien because you were aliens once in Israel. Another example, when you look at the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, There's ten commandments, 
Of those Ten Commandments, eight of them are negative commands. Okay? Do not have other gods. Do not make yourself an idol. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Do not murder. Uh, Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. Those are all negative commands that God gives to the nation of Israel. The two positive commands are honor your father and mother and observe the Sabbath. Does that make any sense between a negative command and a positive command? Eight of the Ten Commandments are negative commands. Two of the ten are positive commands. Most of the commands that you see, the teaching in the law and the prophets, are from the negative standpoint. And then another one, I want to go through this, Leviticus 19. I want to hammer this down because uh, I think it's important to get an understanding of why Jesus said what he said, why he did what he did, and why it's such a drastic change from the old covenant, and then Jesus comes in on the Sermon on the Mount and gives us the new covenant teaching. So in Leviticus 19, starting in verse 9, God says this. Oh, there it is. Leviticus 9, 9 through 18. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So when you're reaping your field, leave the edges so that the sojourner could come and get some food. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie. You shall not swear by my name falsely and profane the name of the Lord. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So these are negative commands. Do not do this. Do not do this. Do not do this. And when you look at these in the Old Testament, and then when you, you balance that, or you juxtapose it against the New Testament teachings about you shall love your neighbor, and you shall do this, and you shall do unto others, there's a, there's a very big difference between the two. Another example of the, the negative command is there's an old fable of two rabbis. And back in the Jewish times, people would devote themselves to rabbinical teaching, and they would become a proselyte, and they would go under the care of a rabbi when it comes to their understanding of the Torah. And the story is told that there was uh, this rabbi named Shimei, and a proselyte, a Gentile, came to him and says, uh, Rabbi, teacher, I am prepared to be received as a proselyte, but on one condition. And this particular rabbi had the, the, uh, the um, reputation of being rather rigid and stern. So this man comes up to him and says, I would like to become a uh, proselyte, but on one condition that you teach me all the law says while I'm standing on one leg. And the easily frustrated rabbi grabbed a stick and chased him away. And this man went to another rabbi named Hillel, and Hillel was known to be a very patient, loving rabbi. And he said the same question to this rabbi. He said, teacher, I am wanting to become a proselyte on one condition 
that you teach me everything that the law and the prophets say while I stand on one leg. And the rabbi replied, what is hateful to yourself do to no other, that is the whole law. And the rest is commentary. Now go and learn. What is hateful to yourself do to no other. Don't do what is hateful to you. Do not do that. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. That surmises the law in the prophets in the Old Testament. That's a negative command. Don't harm others. Do not do to others what is harmful or hateful. Now, let's go back to Jesus' teaching again in Matthew chapter 7. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Whatever you want done to you, do to them. That is a positive command. Um, that's much different. When you really think about not doing something versus doing something, that's a much different teaching. Uh, it's much easier to not do something than it is to do something. It's much easier to sit back and, and just not do evil versus stepping out of the comfort zone and actually doing something positive. Let's say you have a, uh, let's say you're in sales. Let's say, well, Jared, we're going to pick on you today. You have an opportunity to become the CEO of the largest bank in Colorado. And one of your competitors, Nathan Knoll, just got promoted to Alpine Bank to president of Grand Junction. He also has an opportunity to become the CEO of the greatest, largest bank in Colorado. They're going to let you work from home. You can do whatever you want. It's the greatest job you can possibly think of. And you find out that Nathan also has the opportunity, and you know that the interviewing board is extremely uh, stingent, is that the right word, on being punctual. Like, they want to make sure that if their meeting's at 9 o'clock, you're there at 8.55. You're not there at 9.01. And so you hear that Nathan's got this interview, and you guys happen to live in the same neighborhood, and it rains the night before, there's puddles all over, and you leave the house at 8 o'clock to make sure you're there on time, and Nathan passes you and cuts you off, and you're like, well, I'm just going to let him do that. Everything's fine. But 100 yards up the road, you see his tire gets flat, and he has to pull over, and there's this huge puddle in front of the car that he's fixing. And you're like, all right. He's not going to look good at that interview. I am going to go through that puddle, and I am going to splash him with so much water and muck that he's either got to go home and change and be late and not get the job, or he's going to go in looking foolish and be late and not get the job. The Old Testament would say, ah, Jared, don't do that. Just go around the puddle, wave as you go by, you know, but don't splash the man. Jesus would say, pull over and change the tire. That's the difference between a positive command and a negative command. Jesus saying, do unto others, if you were to get that flat tire, you would want somebody to pull over and help you out. 
the do not do versus the do. I, had a, I was talking to a friend about this, this uh, message the other day, and he says, you know, the Old Testament really encompasses the opposite of empathy, where the New Testament is teaching empathy. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Jesus' teaching is about empathy. And then we hung up, and I was sitting there thinking about that, and I went, no, that's not right. That's not right. The, the concept of empathy is, is, is to have an understanding and to share the emotional pain of somebody else. But you can be empathetic without doing to them what you would want them done to you. You can have emotional pain. You can have empathy. You can say, oh, man, I'm really sorry, but do nothing to help them out. And that does not go in line with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's an action. It's a verb. It's something that you do physically. And we see that as an example in James. In James chapter 2, it says, suppose a man comes into your... Well, let me read this. We're, we're not going to read that entire passage, but we're going to read this. Starting in verse 14. What good is it... The, the suppose a man is another concept. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James is saying, if somebody has a need, and you don't actually fill that need, you have a dead faith. So empathy would say, man, I'm really sorry, Ryan, you're cold, and I'm really bummed that you're hungry. I, I feel bad for you. Um, good luck. That's not doing unto others as you would have them doing unto you. Doing unto others, when I'm cold, I want someone to give me a coat. When I'm hungry, I want someone to give me a meal. I want someone to be there for me and do exactly what I want them to do. No different than if you were in that situation... Jesus is saying, you fill that need. You fill that role. Is that making sense? Do unto others. Now, how does this sum up the law and the prophets? Because it is the law of love. We have the law of the prophets in the Old Testament, and we have the law of love in the New Testament. It's been said, and I quote, Jesus was not the first to, command, to commend evaluating behavior in light of how you would want to be treated. Earlier Jewish and Greek teachers offer it as well as a negative statement, which we've gone over. Some form of don't do to anyone what you would not want done to you. In almost all cases, this mostly implies that one ought to, quote, do no harm, meaning not to actively do evil. Jesus' framing goes much further. Positive action is part of the rule. Part of the rule is positive action. God expects us to do to actively pursue that which we would like to see from others. The idea is expanded in Jesus' later comments about the commandments of God. If you go back to James, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 22, we're going to read six verses in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the, child, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 
And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of these, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He goes on to say, the fact that Jesus taught the golden rule endorses the principle as the will of God. Jesus also teaches here that this was the proper explanation behind the law of Moses and God's word to Israel through the prophets. God wants his people to treat others as they want to be treated. Not just don't do what will harm them, but treat them how you want to be treated. This is an incredibly helpful maxim since it can be applied to most situations in life without need for a specific rule for every possible incident. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. They may not have seen me. How would I want to be treated if I accidentally cut somebody off in traffic? It's seeing people from the very best possible angle. When somebody at the building department is so frustrating, how do I handle it? When I just found out that my son or daughter or wife or dad or cousin or uncle and I just got the worst possible news and yet I can't miss work that day and so anybody that comes into that room, I'm already mad at the world and they snap at me. Do I get my pound of flesh or do I treat them how I would want to be treated if I were in their shoes? This teaching is difficult. It's a difficult teaching, but it is the summit, it's the apex of Jesus' teaching. You look at Matthew chapter 5 through 7 at this point, and he goes over the Beatitudes and the salt and the light. And he's like, this is the teaching about anger and lust. This is a teaching about adultery. He goes through this entire sermon And then he finally gets to Matthew chapter 7 after talking about divorce and retaliation and loving your enemies and giving to the needy and fasting and laying up your treasures in heaven and not being anxious about things. This All this applicable teaching to our life of how God is saying, this is how I would recommend you live. This This is what it means to be my disciple. This is what it means to be my follower. People will know you by how you act and how you behave in situations. This is what Jesus is teaching His people. And then He comes to this, what I would consider, this, the top, the, the, the beginning before He goes down to the final conclusion of His Sermon on the Mount. And He says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. I've taught you how to live. I've taught you and I've given you the words of eternal life on what to do and how to act and how to behave and how to treat people. So whatever you do, when you do it, make sure you do it in a way that you would want to be treated the same way. It's not just the absence of evil. It's not the absence of persecution or retaliation or anger. It's the offensive by saying, treat people like you want to be treated. That includes your wife, your kids, your, your friends, your workers, your church body, everyone. Do unto other people how you want to be treated. That is a difficult teaching, brothers and sisters. This is not, when we look at it and we see it on the wall at Palisade High School, we're like, oh yeah, 
do unto others, treat people how you want to be treated. But it, the thing I love, the reason I, I, I kept this summary from this other, uh, this other gentleman that wrote this is that this is an incredibly helpful maxim since it can be applied to most situations in life without need for a specific rule for every possible incident. Every situation in your life, whether you're 6 or 60, every situation in your life, you can look at this and go, how would I want to be treated right here? And it changed my morning. I mean, it changed my morning. I thought about this, and I was a little short with Brenda and the kids, because we're talking about after church, you got five kids that can talk, and they're all like, we want to go to their house, and we want to go ride motorcycles, and I want to go play baseball, and I want to go fishing, and it's like, okay, how are we going to do this? I got like, zing, 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 everywhere. And I'm getting like, you're all just going to go home, and you're going to sit in the corner and be quiet. So I got frustrated, and afterwards I said, honey, I'm sorry for getting frustrated this morning. Because when Brenda would get frustrated with me, or get frustrated and take it out on me, what would I want her to do? apologize. And then look at her, she's smiling. If I didn't say sorry, it would be in her spirit right now of going, man, he was a turkey this morning. But if I can look at her and say, honey, I apologize. I didn't mean to get, I got short with you and the kids. You guys asked too many questions. I'm talking to your mom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's what I think Jesus is, is teaching us here. It's no matter what you do and what situation you're in, act in a way how you would want to be treated. And this summarizes the law and the prophets. This is the fulfillment of God's teaching. And then he says something that I've always separated from this context. And the more I think about it, the more I read back in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and Matthew 7 and the summary of this, he's saying, you want to inherit eternal life? Enter through the narrow gate. Because most people, people that claim to be Christians or not, people that claim to be Christians, most people very few will take this to heart and apply it to their lives. They will justify it somehow. I'm not being judgmental. I'm not even saying who it is because I don't know. I'm just telling you, according to these words, when it says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. It's easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We can say that's a judgmental thing from a preacher, but Jesus himself says the, the, the way is hard that leads to life. It is hard sometimes when somebody cuts you off or when somebody says something rude to you to not respond in a way that's Christ-like. But when I look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I see the teachings of Jesus, 
I go, I want to enter through the narrow gate. I want to, I want to enter the gate. I want to go down the road that leads to life. And many will find the road that leads to destruction because it's easier to just let your emotion get in touch with you instead of put it in check and go, you know, eh, I've got a bad day. It, you know, just I want to, I'm going to treat them. I'm going to treat them. Well, I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. I'm going to treat them how I want to be treated here. And when you start thinking about life like that, I think what it does is it causes you to start looking things, one, inwardly, because this, is, this whole sermon is about our hearts. The whole sermon on the mount is about our hearts. The whole thing. It's not about law-keeping. It's about what's in here. Like, what is my, what is my desire? Is my desire to please the, 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 the creator of the universe? If that's my desire, then I'm going to find that narrow path. I'm going to find that narrow gate. I'm going to find that path that leads to life. But if my desire is to just kind of like look like a Christian, smell like a Christian, but not act like a Christian, that's a broad road. That's why I think this teaching is hard, and that's why I think the path is narrow. It forces every one of us to look inwardly and say, am I judging others? Am I, am I speaking, do I like it when people speak negatively against me behind my back? Am I speaking negatively against other people behind their back? I mean, that's the beauty of this little commentary here when it says it can be applied to most situations in life without need for a specific rule for every possible incident. Everything we do we can ask, how would I feel if that was done to me? I hope it's convicting because it convicted the socks off me, I can tell you right now. I mean, from driving to my, my words, my thoughts, my actions, every aspect of it. We've hit this apex where you look at the whole Sermon on the Mount and Jesus sums it up by going, oh, treat others the way you want to be treated. That's it. That sums up the whole Law and the Prophets. And now, I've taught you how to live. Now I'm going to teach you what you need to be aware of. I'm going to teach you what to watch for. Now you know what's truth. Now you know what I, how I want you to live and what I teach. But now, watch out, guys. Watch out for false prophets. And next week, I'm going to talk about that and what the Bible says about Jesus saying, beware of false prophets. All right? God bless you guys. Uh, I hope this message resonates deeply with you. I enjoyed putting together and I enjoyed talking to myself all week Mainly when I'm behind the wheel. Isn't the pole position the best place to be, Ryan? I'm telling you, that, there's nothing better than being in that pole. Green light, man, and see you later. So, all right. Love you guys.